This is the Victory Away from the Venue podcast, showing a different side of the athletes you know and love, or maybe don't know and love, and how what happens far removed from the bright lights and the TV cameras can provide a different way to look at accomplishment. And now here are your hosts, two friends dating back to college and sports junkies their entire lives, Matt Swinney and Zach Wells. How are you today? Welcome inside the Victory Away from the Venue podcast, episode number four. I'm Zach Wells outside of Cincinnati, and let's send it on down to the capital city of the Lone Star State, Austin, Texas, in his Captain America nook. It's actually <laughs> his son's room. Matt Swinney, what's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, in this, awesome, uh, I know, you're, you, we've made it four episodes in, and that's the first time on air you talked about Captain America behind my head. No, we, uh, in the, it gets me in fired a, up. Well, in a pandemic-fueled world, when all of us are home all the time, the only place I can uh, get a quiet spot in our house is if I kick my son out of his room and I get in his little cave where he has his gaming stuff set up. And yes, Captain America is behind my head, along with uh, several super cool, you know, autographed helmets and baseballs and all that kind of good stuff that he loves. I tell you, we're recording in the morning. I don't know when our listeners are going to be checking this out, but for Cash and Swinney to be up by the crack of noon Central Time, that's an accomplishment. It really is. That's pretty big league, and I know that he's probably off mowing the lawn and doing oh, all yeah. kinds of housework right now to, to make your job a lot easier. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, he's currently curled up on a couch, probably in his underwear, you know, hand on his sleep button, watching The Simpsons or something. So I'm sure Having some exactly. cereal. That's awesome. <laughs> probably not. He's probably waiting on somebody to serve him some cereal, let's be honest. <laughs> the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. <laughs> Got a great show for you today. Greg Smith is a Missouri High School Hall of Fame football coach, and he's going to be joining us. Just such a crazy world we're in, a, a world of COVID-19, a world of coronavirus pandemics, and you know he's outside of the Kansas City metropolitan area. He's going to talk about that, but also talk a lot about what our podcast is about, which is shaping young men in, in his program. It's young men to really use the lessons of football as they go with them uh, later on in life. So it's a really, really good conversation. And, and Greg for full disclosure is Matt's brother-in-law and just a really good dude. I really enjoyed him. Yeah, we, uh, we keep him around. He, uh, he, he, he and he and my sister uh, made some pretty great kids and they have their first grandkid uh, now, which is ridiculous. Uh, That's unbelievable. I know, right? I know. It's it's really, really crazy. But uh, yeah, I'm glad Greg got to got to join us. You know, he's a 30 year high school football coach. And, and like you said, it's, um, we want to talk on this podcast about, you know, things off the field. And, you know, I think we, we tend to get really focused in the sports world on college and professional athletics. But the reality is, is high school and younger you know, there's no such thing as recruiting. It is um, you, you, you play with who you get with whoever shows up on the field and some years are good and some years aren't as good. And, you know, it's really about that's the last chance for most kids to get to play whatever sport they're playing. Um, that's 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 where the drop off happens. And so, you know, it's more about coaches. I think it's more about, you know, helping those kids be who they're going to be later in life and what team sports and individual sports can can teach them so it's it's fun to hear greg talk about all that stuff greg smith will be coming up later on in the podcast today episode four victory away from the venue matt i want to talk to you about just to get us started here you said let's try to be what we can be and and that's applicable to high school college civilian military whatever walk of life you're in and i think just right now in 2020 with 
with racial justice and with these platforms that we're really exploring a lot more deeply that we have a real golden opportunity to get better as people. And I bring that up because a week ago in Cincinnati, it was the night of August 19th, I was watching the Reds play the Royals. There was a doubleheader. And Tom Brenneman, who's the son of Marty Brenneman, Marty was the radio voice of the Cincinnati Reds for 45 years, from 1974 to 2019, he announced the Big Red Machine, uh, I believe three World Series teams, yes, 75, 76, and 1990. He was caught on a hot microphone using a homophobic slur. I believe, if I kind of read the situation correctly, that he didn't realize that they had come out from a commercial to read a promo about the postgame show. He was on, uttered the F word, a homophobic slur, making some comment about how a certain place, I don't know what it was, is one of the F capitals of the world. And in the doubleheader, apologized for it, was taken off the air, and has thus been suspended indefinitely from Fox Sports Ohio here in Cincinnati. And you might recognize Tom Brenneman because he does NFL on Fox telecasts as one of their feature play-by-play men. Here's my thought on this. We just, I know we talk about what's President Trump going to do? What's Kamala Harris going to do? What's President-elect Biden going to do if, if he ends up winning? I think our opportunities to get better actually come from within us. And it's up to all of us to look in the mirror and say, what are we all about as people? And how are we going to go about getting better and educating ourselves with the right tools and the right guidance to get better? Because frankly, to me, it's not really about whether it was captured on a microphone or over the air. I think the really sad reality is that the F word is a part of anyone's vocabulary in 2020. I think it's appalling. Well, that's the, that's the problem, right? Is that, okay, there's a lot to unpack in this in my mind, but you know, Tom Brenneman is a pro. Right. I mean, he's been around a long time. He's Marty's son. He 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 knows how to conduct himself publicly. The problem is what we don't know as the public with public figures is really at the end of the day who they are in their private lives. Right. And frankly, that's a little bit of what this podcast is about. We want to try to unpack that with them to understand like who they are as human beings. And we get the opportunity to get to talk to some really great human beings and hear about what they have to do. Hopefully we don't talk to any <laughs> awful human beings, right? But, but the reality is that sometimes we just don't know until something like this happens, right? And so look, if, if Tom Brenneman said that, look, he, one, he's a pro. He knows at any moment that a mic might be hot, like accidentally, right? That stuff happens. You, you hear it all the time. And actually, I've heard it even more these days because, um, especially in baseball, right? So were the, were the Reds at home when that happened? So he was at home okay. because they're not traveling, but the Reds were right. in Kansas City. Yeah, so, so that, that, was, that was about to be my point. So I've heard it during so many baseball games, right? Because the, 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 for anyone who doesn't know, the announcing team isn't traveling on the road. So they're actually doing their, um, their game analysis, broadcasting and all of that, either from, I think some teams are still doing it from like their home booth, or they may be literally doing it from home over a Zoom call, you know, watching the game on a live feed or whatever the case may be. And I have heard, I've, I've like watched. Like Tim Kirkjian and Eduardo Perez, I think you're at home. Exactly. And so I think, so, so I have heard 
more going into commercial breaks coming out of commercial breaks where, and I've been, I've watched a lot of Astros games. And so Todd Callis and Jeff Blum, who I love, but I think that they have, (laughs) I think I've heard them, you know, start talking about something, you know, for a good seven or eight seconds before the mic turns off, before they go to a commercial and, um, and never anything bad, right. In their case, like they're just, they're just shooting the bull, you know, a couple of friends in a broadcast booth, you know, as we do during a commercial break. And so to me, the fact that Tom Brenneman got caught on a hot mic, like that's just unprofessional. Like, you know, um, that it can happen at any moment, especially in this crazy world where we're not, where all of your people aren't around. Right. And there's no delay, you know, there's no delay. And so, and so there's that, but more importantly, like you said, if he said that on air, how many other times has he said that in his life? Hundreds, thousands, right? I mean, many, many, many times. And so the, the question becomes to me, when you- I are, don't even want to say it on this podcast to report what someone else said. I, I think- it's a disgusting so, word. It's yeah, ridiculous. So, right. So Zach and I, as soon as it happened, we were texting back and forth with each other. And um, it started with, that's not a word you like whisper into your best friend's ear. That's not even a word that crosses my brain in my worst thoughts. Right. And so like, it's just not in, and that's not, that's not me virtue signaling at all. That's just reality. Like it's just not a word that makes any sense to me why we would ever use it, why anyone would ever use it. And so, you know, I, I, while I appreciate that, and, and, and we, we continue to text conversation about, you know, should he be fired? What does this look like? You know, and in a 2020 cancel culture kind of world, I think, I think we came to an agreement, actually, that, you know, the better option here is don't fire him. If you fire him, he learns nothing. If you fire him, you know, he just goes away, right? And no one ever hears from him again, except for somewhere down the road when, you know, we've all forgotten about it and he comes back in some form or fashion. The reality is, is what the Reds have done and what it kind of sounds like Fox has done on the NFL side is they've, they've essentially suspended him for some period of time. And now what I hope the Reds do and Fox for that matter, what I hope they do is they make him walk the walk. I think those were your words, actually, Zach, that they make him walk the walk, that they earn um, his way back. Yeah, and it's got to be real. It's got to be honest. It's got to – look, he apologized on air, but let's be honest. If you've just said that word, you're not apologizing for using the word because you've used it a million times before. You're apologizing because you got caught. Let's be real here, right? That's the only reason why you're upset at that moment is because you got caught. Because you've never been upset about using that word before. Again, not the first time he's used it, very clearly. Nobody uses it for the first time on a hot mic, right? So to me, he's got to now walk away. He's going to lay low for a little bit. And then he's, I think he needs to publicly be out there. He needs to meet people from the LGBTQ community. He needs to understand their world he needs to understand and by the way they've got to let him in which if they don't want to i i mean who am i to blame them so to me that's what has to happen for any legitimate change to happen to anybody who spews you know hate or anything else like that you know or or i mean i don't even want to use the word hate because it's just so strong but i mean that's what it was let's be honest but i think you know, anyone who just needs to legitimately need to be needs to be educated on any topic. Um, and just like, 
stop being such an offensive asshole. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, like you've got to figure out within yourself how to not be that and why you've always been that, right? And he's, to his credit, started to do that. You know, he reached out to some openly gay prominent members of the Cincinnati community to have a conversation, to set up face-to-face meetings. He wrote a op-ed in the Cincinnati Inquirer the next day. So it seems like he's going about the process of making amends and really earning his way back to be able to put the microphone on again. But I really agree with you. I think in this cancel culture, that's honestly the easy thing to do because he doesn't learn anything from it. And then maybe we really don't learn anything from it either by watching him go into the community and educate himself on the best ways to have a tolerant mindset, right? But this gets me thinking, if we're going to have equality, which I'm all about, by the way, I want to have equal opportunity for me, for you, for your daughter, for my daughter, for, uh, for black friends, for LGBTQ friends, for, for anyone, for anyone. I truly believe in Dr. King's words that you should not be judged by the color of your skin, but by the content of your character. It's some of the most profound words ever spoken. But we have to have equal expectations and equal ramifications for when we don't have those kinds of thoughts, words, and actions. And I want to give you some examples. Recently, in the NBA playoffs, Montrez Harrell, a black man, very talented for the Los Angeles Clippers, came out and called Luka Doncic a, quote, bitch-ass white boy. Just completely unacceptable. It's not acceptable. On Twitter or something, right? I I don't know the exact context of of where this was, but my, my, my point is, and my question is, and my comment is, I guess it's a comment and a question, why is Montrez Harrell not disciplined in any way for denigrating Luka Doncic, who, unrelated, is one of the most electrifying players I've seen in a long time. But should, does, can he play a basketball game without being denigrated based on his skin color? Yeah, and I think – so basketball is a funny culture, right? So we – I you know, I played as a kid, played some pickup games, not recently, but, you know, play some pickup games here and there. You did too. And – you know, basketball is one of those, right? It's all trash talk on the on the floor, right? And so I can imagine that a term like that could easily fly out on on the court, right? And that it's kind of good-natured ribbing, trash talking, trying to get in somebody else's head. And, you know, is it appropriate there? Eh, you know, but but it's done, right? Like everyone does it. And so, you know, the problem I have with it is that I don't like it when that trash talk then leaves the court and goes into the public sphere. And, you know, and what I, that's why I was sort of asking context because I, I didn't actually hear this story, but, you know, if it was caught by a hot mic, you know, which, which is happening, right. Without fans and stands, right. We're hearing all kinds of things we never heard before. If it was caught with a hot mic in the middle of play, it doesn't bother me that much. If it was something he said, you know, after the fact within earshot of a reporter or put it out on Twitter or something like that, that makes a difference to me. And so to me, you're right that, you know, if we're going to be Look, if we're gonna if we're gonna slap people's wrists for saying things that are inappropriate, especially as it relates to 
race, sexual orientation, things like that, then, then it's got to be equal across the board. I agree with that. I think I said to you um, yesterday, though, that, and, and I don't know, maybe this is, um, I, I'll, I'll own this, that, that maybe it's unfair. But as a black man in America, which I am not, I can understand the, maybe I give more of a pass, um, whether I should or not, to um, black men and women in America as it relates to how they relate to white people, just because of this kind of long-seated sort of anger, right? And fairly so, right? Um, and so, so Matt, I, this came during the heat of competition in game three of their series. Okay, and it was picked then, up by a mic. Then Montrez Harrell came over before game four and apologized. And that was captured on camera too. Okay, so, you know, to me, I don't know. How does that make you feel now that, now that you know that part of it? So I if, completely disagree with you. No, it's, you, you cannot have different standards of equality and respect and tolerance and acceptance of other people. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, had he, if you, if you flip the script, right, if Doncic had said the exact same thing. He'd be suspended you know, for the rest of the season. Right. And, and yeah, that, that, that's probably true. That's probably true. Or at least suspended for, you know, they're in the playoffs now. They, something publicly would have happened, right? And, um, you know. And it, I, and it, and it should. Yeah, Sure. And so, so I don't know. I, I guess I'm conflicted on the topic, to be honest with you. I think that, um, you know, I, I think when it happens in specifically in basketball, right? Like if that happened on a baseball field, that would be weird, right? Because there's no, that kind of trash talk doesn't exist on a baseball field. On a basketball court, though, it does. And, you know, if he had called him a bitch-ass punk, no, we wouldn't be talking about it, right? But the fact that he called him a no, bitch-ass white talk. boy, yeah. yeah. But the fact that he called him a bitch-ass white boy, that's where the line crosses probably. And, you know, in the heat of battle, in the heat of the moment, eh, you know, but, but at the same time, I agree with you in that, if nothing else, I think this is where even an Adam Silver should step in and say, look, this is caught on a hot mic. Stuff gets said on a basketball court that, the general public should never hear. Um, right. I mean, we're hearing that in baseball right now. I love all of the, uh, all the managers and umpires yelling at each other because we can actually hear what they're saying. And I think it's just hilarious. It's like the greatest like entertainment ever to actually hear what they're saying. And, but the, but on a basketball court, so same kind of thing. Like these are things that were never meant for public consumption. And so, you know, that's also, I think aligned. but I do think Adam Silver or somebody should come out and say, look, some of the stuff that gets said on a basketball court is never meant for public consumption. That said, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna have a con I'm gonna have a conversation with Montrez and we're gonna we're gonna talk about this and we're gonna talk about you know where the line is, what that looks like. Like you can't throw somebody's race back in their face. You want to trash talk, do it all you want. Do it. We gotta be careful where those lines are. And again, it's a learning opportunity. It's a chance to come in and say, look, everybody. We're all, all of our senses are heightened. All of us are on our last nerve about a million different topics right now. And so everything is going to get blown up on a much bigger scale than it ever did in the past. And so with that in mind, if you want, if you want your opponent 
to look themselves in the mirror and try to be better each day, then you also have to look yourself in the mirror and be better each day or do your best to be better each day. And I think, I think to maybe put a bow on this, I, I think that's the trick in society period, you know, with a, the social media culture we live in with this sort of, you know, soundbite world we live in, you know, I hope, I, I think a million bad things go away if everyone just looks in the mirror every morning and says, I'm going to try to be a better human today than I was yesterday. That's it. And but you know, my I'm question gonna, for you is what did Montrez Harrell learn? Well, and, and he didn't maybe, miss, he didn't miss and, a minute of playing time other than when Doc Rivers, his coach didn't want to play him. Yeah. And then and, he tweeted that, you know, I just want to clear, clarify all the outside nonsense that was being said about this. No, no, it's not nonsense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How right. people are treated and how people are treated equally. This NBA bubble is unlike anything we've ever seen before because it's resting on a platform yeah. of social justice and equality. These guys yeah. are wearing these words on their <laughs> uniforms. And, so it has to apply to everybody. Yeah. And that's, and that's everybody a, has to have that mindset. Yeah. And that's a very fair point. And um, I know, I know you have had some issues with the sort of, okay, so we're just going to put black lives matter out there and we're going to put it on jerseys. It's going to be painted on the court. We're going to do all of that. And I don't think you have any issue with that necessarily. Not at all. But, 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 you know, there is something to be said for, okay, if we're going to do that, then we all have to respect what that really means. And what that really means is, you know, last I checked what black lives matter cares about is equality, right? They care about making sure that every black life in this country is equal to everyone else's life, period, the end, right? That's why we've said, you know, things like all lives matter is, goes completely against that, right? So if you say that term, all, well, all lives can't matter until black lives matter, right? And that's the whole sort of basis for that movement, which by the way, I support, I think is great. I think has done some really wonderful things in advancing this conversation, but you are absolutely right that then if that is what we're doing, then we all got to get on that on that ship. And when it's painted literally on the floor right next to you, then then you really got to be on that on that ship, right? That's fair. Yeah, That's and, fair. And, and, and you know, we can draw on some some other examples too, where Drew Brees, the quarterback of the Saints, came out a couple of weeks ago now, maybe a couple months ago now. I I, I lost track of when coronavirus this time and said coronavirus time. And let me tell you something about Drew Brees. Drew Brees, in my opinion. I've met him briefly. I interviewed him once and he's an incredible leader, a great gentleman. Drew Brees is a great example for anybody, what you can accomplish if you're willing to work hard enough. Because if Drew Brees is six foot, I'm the king of Siam. I mean, he is, he is, I don't believe he's six feet tall. And for him to be able to play at a hall of fame level and rewrite record books when he was pretty much left on the scrap heap by the San Diego chargers with a bad shoulder, it's incredible. And he will go to the Hall of Fame on the first ballot, and he should. He's also done a lot for people, and he's done a lot for New Orleans, not only with their play on the field and going to win a Super Bowl, but he and his wife, Brittany, when the coronavirus pandemic hit, donated $5 million, with an M, $5 million, which is more than I'll ever make in my lifetime, I think, to help with coronavirus relief efforts in that community. And New Orleans has a substantially black population. So when Drew Brees comes out and says, you know what, 
I don't believe in kneeling for the national anthem because I find it to be disrespectful to the American flag. He is okay to feel that way. You can support both. And I think that's what he was trying to say. You can support equality. You can support black lives. You can support getting a fair shake with the police. You can support having equal opportunity to education, to housing, to making an upward climb through society while also saying, hey, you know, for me, three of my four grandparents were in the military during World War II. Three of my four grandparents are buried in military cemeteries. I'm not kneeling for the anthem because that is a moment for me to pay homage to the men and women who are currently serving and also the men and women who sadly came home to a military funeral of some kind and left children with single parents or who left you know, pregnant girlfriends at home or wives. And that's how I feel about it. And Drew Brees was excoriated for it, excoriated. And I don't, and I don't know why he was. Well, I think, so a couple things. Um, so Drew is from Austin. Um, he is revered here. Um, went to Westlake High School. Not heavily he, recruited. No, went to Purdue because UT wasn't going to give him a sniff, right? I'm sure, um, I'm sure that, that went well. Well, I mean, it is what it is, right? It is what it is. Um, so, you know, here's the thing. I, I, think, I think in the climate, Drew's comments came off as insensitive, maybe is the right word, um, because I think the problem is, is that the community who does support this kneeling during the national anthem has tried to say and hasn't minced words has tried to say 4 million different times about how it's not about the military. It's not about disrespecting the flag. It's none of those things. It is about ensuring racial justice and that here's the problem. And, and to be clear, Drew, there's no doubt that he is a great human being that um, he also, after this happened, you know, from all reports, he had several conversations with teammates of very, of all races. Um, and he has come out right after that and said, I now have a better understanding for what that, what this movement is about. And I, I will, I will, I will do better going forward. And I believe that about him, by the way, because he, because he has walked the walk here. Here's the problem. I think the reason why it blew up so much was one, everyone's on their last nerve <laughs> for all of these reasons, right? We've, we've got, it's 2020 man and everything has gone to shit all at the same time. Um, so, so there's that. Um, and two, I think it's just that, again, the people who have supported this movement from the beginning understand what the movement is about. And while you may not agree, and I don't mean you, Zach, I mean you collectively, you may not agree with the idea that it happens during the national anthem, frankly, is a you problem. And that's what has been said, right? Because look, you don't want us to, and if you kind of look at this, I try, anytime something like this happens, as a 44-year-old white man of privilege, 
I try to look at it through someone else's eyes, like the people who are doing this. Like, let me try to look at it through Colin Kaepernick's eyes, right? And Nate Boyer, by the way, um, you know, Green Beret, a buddy I, I, we did Dancing with the Stars in Austin together. Um, he, he is a wonderful human being and he came out and uh, supported Colin Kaepernick, though he did not kneel. He did hear him out. He understood and he supported him in many ways. Here's the thing. If I look at it through those eyes, it's kind of like, okay, well, you, when we did sit-ins in the 60s, we got arrested. Okay, were we bothering anybody? No. Okay, so when we riot, you don't like that either. So when we peacefully protest, well, you don't like that. So let's just try to kneel during, well, you don't like that either. And so like at some point, if I'm, if I'm a black person in America, I just go, I don't really care what you don't like anymore because it doesn't matter what we do, you don't listen. So we're gonna do something that is going to make you listen. And that is, and, and in Colin Kaepernick's case, the one who first started kneeling with the flag, you know, he did that and everyone started listening for a second, only they missed the point. And that's, I think, where the Drew Brees thing comes in, right? We're like three years later, whatever it is, since Colin first started doing that. And now you're at this point of like, look, we explained to you, I don't know how many times what this is about, and you still aren't hearing the message. And so to, to, so I think that's why Drew got ripped. If Drew had just said, I support the cause. I don't necessarily, I will not personally kneel and I would prefer my teammates not to kneel. However, I've had conversations or will have conversations with my teammates on something that I can do that helps mm -hmm. support them that maybe sure. isn't that. And, sure. But he didn't say that, right? And, and, and to be fair also, this was in a quick soundbite, you know, I, I, I and, wish- and on, on a related topic, that's why I like this podcast because we can flesh out the issues. Right. And, and, and in Drew's death. Yeah. And in Drew's defense, I mean, everything I've seen, like the journalists behind it didn't exactly follow up the question with a, Hey, Drew, is that really what you mean? <laughs> you know, and, and by the way, Drew's earned the right. He's earned the right to be able to say something and then clarify his comment um, outside of a soundbite. I mean, these mm -hmm. guys, it, it's not easy to say exactly what you mean in 20 seconds, right? That's not easy. And to put a bow on this before we get to Greg Smith, the, the Missouri high school hall of fame football coach who, who gave great perspective just on the current climate of football and the role of the football coach in 2020 and how it's evolved over the decades. So Drew Brees, and it kind of ties together how we need to have equal expectation of people. If we're really going to be equal, we need to have equal tolerance, equal acceptance, and also equal sanctions when we don't live up to what we should be as people. Deshaun Jackson, receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles, comes out publicly and makes a series of anti-Semitic comments, mind you, he works in an organization with a Jewish owner, works in an organization with a Jewish general manager in Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, respectively. And the people that were just, and when I say excoriate, heavily criticized, that's a pretty kind word to, to describe what Drew Brees went through. I did not see the same methodology of holding Deshaun Jackson to account from these same people that were ripping Drew Brees. Yeah, and I, I will I will say one thing. When you brought that up the other day, when we were kind of talking about what we wanted to talk about here today, um, that's absolutely true, no doubt. Um, that that story was much smaller than the Drew Brees story, no doubt. I think also though, just to fair or not, the reality is is Drew Brees is a pop culture household name. 
Um, everyone knows who Drew Brees is, even if you don't really watch. I mean, if you know literally anything about sports or, you know, it's even just on in the background on Sunday afternoons, you, you probably know who Drew Brees is. Like the, the, the vast majority of Americans know who he is. Um, the vast majority of Americans. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, with that crazy birthmark on his cheek. <laughs> um, the, it, and you can't say the same for Deshaun Jackson. Right. And so fame has something to do with it again, fair or not. And it's not, by the way, fame does have something to do with it. And so it's much, much easier to excoriate somebody who everyone has heard of and not excoriate the one who no one or very few, you got to be a football fan to know who Deshaun Jackson is. And so I'm not at all, I'm not trying to justify that. I'm not trying to, but I do think that that does, it does matter, unfortunately, in a social media culture. Um, that said, what was the, do you know what the punishment for Deshaun Jackson was? I forgot what the follow-up was on that. I believe I'll have to look. I believe I'm just kind of speaking off the cuff here. I believe there was a, a fine. Okay. And Deshaun Jackson, I believe, has gone on, you know, trips overseas to, to Auschwitz and, you know, concentration camps. And, and he's trying to, you know, get a better handle on, you know, the Jewish culture and, and things like that. But yeah, just to, just to kind of wrap up before we get to Greg, to Coach Smith, if we're going to be equal and we're going to get better, and trust me, America, Nikki Haley said it best this morning, the former ambassador on Good Morning America, America is a work in progress. And if we're going to continue progressing and getting better, we have to have the same expectations for people. Right. And, and that's, look, this country was founded as a big giant experiment. It was. And, you know, and it is, and, and we're recording this on, um, on Tuesday. And uh, if I, if I, if I have my date right, today is the hundredth anniversary of uh, the 19th amendment being passed. So women getting the vote. And um, I guess I bring that up because one, it should be brought up Two, in this world where we really are focused on equality where we are incredibly divided as a nation, let's don't forget it was just a big experiment and we are still experimenting and we're still figuring this out and we have screwed this up. We, all of our ancestors have screwed this up nine ways to Sunday. We've also gotten a lot of things right. And I think the beauty of it is, and one of the things that I think helps define what this country is, is the ability to have civil discourse. And one of the pieces that I think has been lost is that word civil. And I know that's not the context in what this word is supposed to mean, but it's meant to be not in that word, in that usage, but the word civil also means to be civil to one another, right? And to be kind and to listen and to have reasonable debate with one another without resorting to slander, name calling, whatever the case may be. And the reality is, is that, you know, the suffrage movement, as a good example, took 80, 90 years of really, of women fighting very hard, men fighting right next to them, um, and ultimately winning the vote. And still, and 100 years later, I think you and I would agree, women still aren't fully equal in this country, right? And so to me, it has to be about, it comes back to individual, right? It's gotta be Matt Swinney and Zach Wells and our friends and their friends and their friends and their friends 
again, I will say it till I'm blue in the face, looking in the mirror every single day and trying to make a conscious decision to be a better human being. That's it. And to really treat everyone with the same level of respect. And until we suss that out, until we kind of, those people, those people who, you know, don't have that feeling until they move on, we're never going to fully get there. And so to me, it's about parenting. I know you, you, you parent your kids this way. Look, I, we've been very honest with our kids through this entire kind of crazy year that we've been through. We haven't sheltered them. They're, they're 10 and 13. So they're old enough to handle it. We haven't sheltered them from any of this stuff. And that's by design, right? I want them to see in some ways just how awful some people can be so that they make sure that they are never that person. Um, and I think that's an important factor, right? We've got to let the next generation start to take over because frankly, Jeff Blake said it in our very first one, they're not going to put up with this shit. They're just not going to, right? Because they haven't been parented that way. Greg Smith is on deck. Matt, let's go to Greg. What do you say? Let's do it. It is our privilege today on episode four of the Victory Away from the Venue podcast to bring in a very successful high school football coach, a member of the Missouri High School Football Coaches Hall of Fame, a 30-year tenure on the sidelines, Greg Smith. Greg, it is great to have you on, man. How are you? Greg, it's great to be here with you and Matt. It's, it's a humbling uh, thing to, to be involved with something like this. I mean, uh, I, I don't know that I have uh, – I'm worthy of, of such a great thing. So thank you guys for having me. It's, it's, it's a great, great thing, great experience. Well, Greg, before we get into coaching and football and, and all the successful young men that you've kind of molded you and your staff, what kind of dirt do you have on Matt Swinney as Matt's brother-in-law? Because we've got we've to gotta just lay that out. Well, I guess we, we have to disclose anything. this nonsense, right? <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know. What, uh, are there ratings for podcasts? I mean, you're, you're good. We've, we have decided as long as the context makes sense, you were allowed to curse. It's okay. Now, okay. now my kids right. might listen to this, so be careful because you're talking to your nephew okay. and niece. Well, then, then he is a wonderful human being. <laughs> nice things about Matt. Uh, what a great father and husband and, and a community member he is. Well, Greg, I wanted to touch base with you just in this unbelievable climate of COVID-19, the coronavirus pandemic. Obviously, football has been in the spotlight just a lot for safety reasons, uh, right. for brain injuries, for neck injuries, for spine injuries. Now it's through transmission of a virus while on the football field. What kind of things have you had to worry about as a coach in 2020 that you've really never thought of before? Well, I mean, the, the sport of football does, is not conducive for social distancing. Um, so that if one kid gets sick and is tested positive, we don't shut down the team. So things like our starting quarterback and our backup quarterback are never on the same side of the field. I mean, things like that. It's, it's just weird. You, 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 you can never, you rarely get your entire offensive line together, um, because you don't want your entire offensive line to come down with COVID. If one kid gets it, they would all get it. So it's a, it's a weird, weird deal. You're, you're meeting with kids over zoom. Um, you're, you're meeting as a staff over Zoom uh, throughout the, the course of the spring. It's just, it, it's, it's been a headache 
to say the least. And and not not only that, I mean, currently we're in a state of of flux in that we don't know if we show up to work tomorrow, if we show up to practice tomorrow, uh, they come out and shut us down because the county health department has decided we're a hotbed. So it's it's day to day. The stress of it uh, is 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 taking its toll on this on the coaches and the kids. Uh, but we try to keep it as normal as we can uh, and have a sense of normalcy uh, at that moment on that field so the kids can kind of get away from it. Is this the kind of ultimate lesson in mental toughness where we have to really separate we, meaning you and your team and your staff, what we can control versus what we can't control, what is beyond our kind of realm, beyond our job description, and really focus in on that and, and do the best we can to take care of each other. And everything else has to come into place. Absolutely, absolutely. You you also have to kind of uh, battle with the the age of uh, information, uh, with with all of the social media and kids get information almost immediately uh, on their phones. Um, that you kind of kind of got to block all that stuff out and, and really focus on the task at hand. And, and the sport of football is is a way to do that. And I think athletics in general. Uh, whether it's the swim team or the softball team, they're able to kind of get away from that and focus on the task at hand. Yeah, let's jump into outside of COVID. So you've got 30 years almost. Am I right in that 30? Close. Yeah. Close to 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the greater Kansas City area, your entire career. Good barbecue, um, real good barbecue. I don't know about that. As a as a oh, born and bred Texan, I, we do you want to talk barbecue? We can get into barbecue. We can have this mm-hmm. argument while recording on air if you would like. Yeah. And Greg, I will wipe you up left and right. <laughs> Greg, when I go to Arrowhead Stadium and watch the Chiefs, you can see the back in the day pre-COVID, you can see all the tailgaters out in the parking lot. And their smoke coming off from their grills and. You can kind of smell it. That's how good the barbecue is in Kansas City. Well, I, I would like to rescind all the nice things I said about Matt earlier. <laughs> uh, apparently a dumbass, when, especially when it comes to barbecue. No, Matt, I, I'll be honest with you. There is great barbecue in Texas. Yes, there, there is. is. And and I'm sure – Matt's just fun to tee up. Oh, and, I'm, <laughs> and it's fun. I, now, to be fair, I have also had great barbecue in the Kansas City area. Sure. So we can just call it a day and then get in a fight about who whose is better right. later. Right. I mean, I guess you could ship me some Kansas City barbecue and I could ship you some Texas barbecue. And the next time we get on this podcast, we could do a taste off that our listeners won't understand at all because they can't taste the barbecue. But that's yeah, all right. That sounds like good. Podcast. Yeah, yeah, sounds like fun radio, doesn't it? <laughs> um, no, but so you've been doing this for 30 years, kind of in the same area, which means that, you know, you haven't bounced around. Um, at least, you know, maybe bounce around from school to school from time to time, but in the same area. So you're always coaching with the same coaches for the most part, you know, same, same families coming through multiple times, multiple kids. And just talk to us a little bit about, you know, the differences. And, and I know you, you work with a lot of college coaches, but, you know, this podcast is about, you know, athletes doing amazing things in the world right out off of the football field and as much success as you've had on the field I'd love for you just to start to dig in a little bit on what it means to to you on a daily basis to help kind of shape you know young men and sometimes young women um, but young men from the football field into you know whoever they become next 
Right. Well, it's uh, like a, it's really a calling. Uh, being a coach is, it's at least at the high school level, you, you're not going to become a rich man. Um, it, what you are going to become rich in is experiences and, and helping young men uh, develop into good community members, good husbands, good fathers. Uh, and that's been a key focus uh, over my career. Because one thing I've found, regardless of the size of the school, I've coached from class one, which is the smallest level in Missouri, to class six. I've been in, involved in coaching in those schools. One thing that is common is you get uh, individuals that come from different backgrounds, from different belief systems, uh, different family home lives, uh, and you've got to get them all together. None of that matters when you're in the huddle or when you're in the locker room or when you're on the field. What I try to do, though, is instill a foundation of goodness and doing what's right and being self-disciplined uh, and trying to uh, <clears throat> do the right thing. And I, 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 I'm a human. I fail at that personally. And I know our kids do. And, and we try to teach them to uh, that, that that's okay, that you, you continue to grow as a human, as a man, uh, and, and, you know, try, try to do the right thing. Yeah, I've argued, and, and I think you really get it once you get to high school, but, it, but even before, like even when we're playing Pop Warner or Little League or, you know, on the soccer field or whatever, I, I've, I've tried to have this conversation with people who haven't played team sports before, and in this sort of current environment where we've got – a huge divide in race relations. You know, we've had recently finally having um, professional athletes come out of the closet um, publicly with their team, active players. And I see sort of the world that isn't around team sports talking about, you know, how difficult that must be. And I've always argued that of all the places to feel safe, a, a huddle or on a baseball field together in a locker room is actually the safest place to be because, and I think you teach your kids this because it's all about team, right? Like, and there are some times when you're not going to love one of your teammates on a personal level, but when you hit that field or you hit that locker room together, it's every, it's every man for each other. And um, so I, I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit, especially in the current race environment. Well, yeah. And that's, that's, that's a tough one. It is. Uh, because I can't pretend to walk in those shoes. I really can't. But what I can do is I can listen. I can listen. I can have empathy. I can give words of encouragement. Um, you know, the, with the, the, the race relations, it's, it's tough. Um, and I know that um, the only thing I can do is, is really empathize and, and help and listen and um, give a hug. You know, one thing that I've, I've always had in my career is I've tried to build our team as a brotherhood, as a family. And regardless of what you look like, it's not uncommon for me to say to my players that I love them. Because uh, a lot of those kids really need to hear that. And, and it's, it's genuine. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, the, the successes that I've had, I, honestly, have been built on love. Um, and, and once those kids feel that, you can coach them as hard as you want. You know, you can really get into them and they, they, they'll take it because they know it's coming from a place of, of honesty and, a, and of caring. Um, and and once, you, once you build a team like that, um, I think that matters. I think that helps in the win and loss.
and, and but more importantly, that helps uh, as they progress in life. Um, I've often said that my biggest victories have not been shown on a scoreboard. It's those kids that have uh, come in angry and just angry at the world and leave our program uh, with a sense of confidence and and self-belief uh, to be to go on and, and be good members in the community. Do you have an do you have an individual player you want to call out? Do you have a good story for us? <sighs> um, no, I, I don't want to. You don't have to name a name. I'm not going to say a name. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about a young man who lost his father very young. And he would, he's a high school kid, a, a sophomore in high school, 16 years old. And he would slip up and call me dad. And uh, he went on to be a Marine, um, very successful. He's, he's out of the Marine Corps now and is in a successful uh, construction he owns a construction business, um, but he had a he had a strong belief that he was going to die a young man like his dad did, and he was he was angry at the world. He was angry because he he felt like he had been done an in, in injustice, which honestly he had. He, he didn't have a chance to have a dad as when he was growing up, and and um, <clears throat> we were able. He was able to get through that, and become a successful man uh, off the field, away from the venue. Uh, and, and those, and I've got a lot of stories like that. Um, <clears throat> those are the ones that make you keep coaching, uh, make you keep showing up every day, wondering if they're going to shut you down because COVID-19 is there. Coach, you, you literally took the, the next question out of my mouth because I've known coaches I live in Cincinnati and, and high school football in this area is just people go nuts over it. And, you know, the stadiums are packed. It's, it's very neighborhood driven, community driven, you know, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, they, they all go to the games and check it out. And even if they're not interested in the game and, and I have known coaches before, and I'm sure you can relate to this based on your previous comment that you would have to put together an Excel spreadsheet for some of these coaches to list the players they have had over the years for whom the head football coach is the only reliable male role model in their lives. I'm talking dad, uncle, grandfather, you name it. What kind of responsibility is that? And, and how do you go about serving that second dad role when you can't be there 24 hours a day? In their home. Right. Um, it's, it's just a matter of being consistent. Uh, you, you gotta, you gotta have consistency. It's gotta, you gotta come from a place of honesty. Uh, you gotta be honest with these kids. Uh, if you're not, they'll see right through it. And they know phonies. Yeah, you can't, you've got to be honest. Um, you've got to build a trust there. Uh, and, and again, it goes back to love. Uh, you gotta love them up. Um, when they mess up, you gotta, you gotta chew them out too. I mean, it's, it's, again, goes back to consistency and trust. But that's the thing you can, you can chew out a kid and I've, I've, I've had a lot of people and it's harder to be a coach today, probably. Right. Like when you and I, so Greg and I are what, four, four, five years apart, five years apart. And, you know, so we grew up kind of in the same vein of team sports you know, we had coaches who probably, you know, rode our ass in ways that 
you know, probably would not be okay today. And I wonder, you know, maybe my question is, is do you think that that makes your job easier or harder as a coach? You know, you have, you definitely have more, more stringent rules. I, I actually heard um, uh, Tracy Smith, the head baseball coach at Arizona state was talking about at the college level that, you know, you can't, you can't make somebody run for uh, quote unquote punishment, right? Like it has to be written into your practice plan, um, which may not be the case at the high school level, but at the NCAA level, that is the case. So I'm, I guess I'm just curious, you know, having grown up in a, in, a, in, a different, in a different environment playing team sports and then now coaching it in a totally different environment, what, what does that look like for you? Oh, it's, it, it, it is certainly different. Um, and you've got to find your own personal way to coach. And, and this is something I talk about with younger coaches that, I, that I've tried to help mentor through the years. You've got to find your own, your own lane. Um, I can't coach like another one. Uh, I can't pretend to coach like one of my old coaches. Uh, I can't be the rough, you know, hard cussing, you know, guy. I, that, that's just not me. Um, but yeah, the the climate has changed for sure in the last 30 years um, in multiple ways. Uh, the way that we coach has definitely changed. The way that we practice has absolutely changed. It uh, doesn't even look like the same game on a, on a Tuesday afternoon. Now, if you take it back uh, to the early 90s, it's, it's a different game. Um, but, yeah, the, at its core, though, um, I don't know that I have personally changed that much. Um, maybe some of the words are different. Um, maybe some of the, the practice things are different. But still, I, I come from that core of, of trying to help kids. And that's been the, the same way from day one. Well, and I think your, your perspective of, if we keep using that kind of thread of love, if that's your perspective, I know growing up, you know, I had some coaches who, you know, used running as a punishment, right? And, but they didn't set it up first, right? I didn't, I didn't think that those coaches actually cared that much about me personally. And so from that perspective, then, so punishing me by making me run or whatever isn't valuable, right? I don't learn anything from that. And I think just like being a dad or a mom, you know, and we punish our kids, they know it's out of love at the end of the day. And so I think, I think that perspective is interesting. So for somebody like you, who's always had that perspective of if it starts with love, then the punishment part of it doesn't feel like a punishment as much as it feels like a learning opportunity, which maybe is splitting hairs on words, but it, but it is different, right? Well, it, well, let me give you an example. Um, if we are in, in the game of football, and, and in my opinion, in the, in the game of life, the details matter. It, details matter in football. They do. Uh, being on time, um, that six inch step in football may be the difference between a win and a loss or a, uh, a championship or, a, or getting knocked out of the playoffs, you know, six inches. Um, and so when we are running drills, we focus on touching the line. And if a kid doesn't touch the line, if one kid doesn't touch the line, that's one kid not taking care of details, which may mean the difference in a job promotion later in life details matter um so we will line up and we'll do it again and so yeah that's punishment that's extra running but 
the reason is coming from a place of love, trying to make you better. Pay attention to details and it will make your life better. So if I played for Coach Smith and I go on and I, I become a doctor, I become an accountant, I become an entrepreneur, I become whatever I want to be, what are the lessons that you want me to hear reverberating through my head? If, if like a little caricature of you is to sit on my right shoulder going through life, what kind of lessons do you want me to, to take with you that were taught through the game of football? Well, first of all, if, if you're one of my former players and you're a doctor, I will not come to you because you're telling me to through the pain. Um, and that, that pain really is just in your mind. I just need to fight through it. Uh, back to your, back to your question. Um, one of the things would be the details matter to treat people, uh, like you would want to be treated, um, to not jump to conclusions, uh, cause you don't know the background of the people that you're working with or the people hey. that you're helping. You don't have all the information. Right. Um, and, and again, to uh, be honest, even when it's uncomfortable, and uh, be prepared to work hard and sacrifice your, your own good for the greater good. So you won a state championship in 2002. Tell me about your favorite teams. What, what was the complexion of your favorite teams? What was the work ethic, the, the camaraderie, the culture? And then what were some of the characteristics of some of your least favorite teams? And then how did you go about in the offseason getting that corrected? Sure. Um, I, I go back to a team in, I believe it was 2006. Uh, that group was not the most talented group I've ever coached. Um, they had the longest winning streak I've ever had uh, because they just bonded together in a way that I've never really had a team do before or since. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I love every team I've coached. I've enjoyed coaching every team I've had, uh, but there was something different about that group. They would hang out together away from the field. Uh, they were always sitting together at the lunchroom they would show up early to the weight room. They, I could never beat them there. Um, that was just a, a special group that, that really bonded, and they were a lot of fun. Um, you know, we had a, a receiver go down with a broken leg uh, late in the season, and I go to visit him, and the entire team is there um, on the weekend. It's, it, it was that kind of group. Um, as far as uh, a, a challenging group. Um, we've had a few. We've had a few, and I've, I've kind of my career has been one where I've kind of taken over programs that other coaches have questioned and thought, "What, uh, what are you doing? You're in a good spot. Uh, you, you're winning. Why are you taking that program over?" Um, and so I've, I've come into some some uh, roles, some teams that were very selfish. Uh, and it, it just, that, that's not something you fix immediately. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times it's, it's just a matter of being around each other and uh, understanding 
the greater good and, and the type of work that is involved in being successful. Selfishness on a football field can manifest itself you know, in a couple of ways, not being ready to play, pre-snap penalties, personal fouls, cheap shots after the whistle, those kinds of things. And that has to drive you insane. Well, and, and, and body language is a big thing. Um, the way that guys carry themselves, it, it is an infection that, that bleeds throughout the team, both in a positive and a negative way. And so uh, that's something that, again, one of those details that I talked about earlier. So, Greg, you got to have the joy and honor of getting to coach your son through all of high school, and he went on to have a fun college football career for a small school. What was that like? The greatest, uh, greatest experience of my life. Um, I've talked with a lot of coaches who have been able to coach their sons, and um, it goes one of two ways. It's either one of the most incredible things you've ever done or one of the most heart-wrenching things you ever go through. Um, I was fortunate that my son Mason loved the game. He loved it from a young age. And, and um, when that team that I talked about that bonded so well, he was a ball boy that, that, uh, that year. And the, uh, when we lost in the playoffs with that group, I remember turning around after shaking hands with the other coach, and there's my son, the ball boy, laying face down on the turf, just bawling his eyes out. Um, so it meant a lot to him, which made coaching him very easy and uh, made it a lot of fun. Yeah, he's a good kid at the end of the day. He's smart as a whip, and I can imagine that uh, – he didn't. He wasn't the kid who was ever going to talk back to you just because you were dad. My guess is he did a pretty good job of separating Coach Smith from dad, um, and that and that you had a pretty good way of doing that. But also being able to go home and just knowing the both of you being able to go home and erase whatever happened <laughs> on that practice field that day and and go back to being dad and son, which I think is probably the trick, right? Th those who maybe don't have the greatest experience, my guess is because they have a hard time separating the two, right? Oh, I would imagine so. I, I think that's probably very true, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, where you're coach all the time and not coach on the field and dad at home. Right. So question for you, Coach. I, I've wondered this. How much have high school programs really morphed into small college programs in terms of athletic training, weight training, a 365-day plan to get ready to play the following August, and how much fun has that been to be a part of, whether it's fundraising for a new facility, trying to get the donors together for a new weight room, those kinds of things that really help kids. Because as you alluded to earlier in the podcast, the days of coming to two-a-days, you know, at the end of July or early August out of shape, those are over. Right. No, it's, it is definitely transformed. Um, the, uh, I, and one thing you didn't mention, nutrition now. It's sure. such a huge thing. Huge thing. Uh, it's it has turned into a 365 um, day a year endeavor for these kids and, and for the coaches. But at the same time, I'm a huge proponent for our our football players being well-rounded individuals and enjoying other sports. That's the balancing act: is promoting our kids to be wrestlers or basketball players, 
promoting them to go out for track and those kind of things uh, and being respectful of those sports, yet at the same time training our kids year round, uh, especially the ones that are not involved in other sports, uh, to be prepared for the fall when it, when it hits. I've heard stories about, to your point, college recruiters, assistant coaches, say, say uh, you know, a really good basketball player that recruiter will go to the coach of another sport that he plays at the high school and get the scouting report on what's he like as a teammate. How does he handle a three game losing streak? Those kinds of things to really see what kind of other sports he plays and how he handles maybe not his best sport. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's part of developing a well-rounded young man. Coach, I wanted to ask you about just the state of football, kind of the state of the union of football is it, is it fair for me to be concerned about letting my son play football based on head trauma and CTE and brain injury? Or has football become kind of unfairly targeted in a way where maybe coaches that don't know how to coach football are, are ruining it for everybody where, you know, we don't coach with the right technique. We don't tackle with our head up. We don't play football with our head up. And that's what's getting kids into trouble. Well, I'll tell you this, Zach, the, the sport of football has never been safer, never been safer. I was uh, actually on a panel a few years ago with uh, Roger Goodell, um, Clark Hunt, and a brain surgeon and myself. We're, we were, the four of us were on a stage. Who the hell invited you? You, you can imagine who stuck out like a sore thumb. Uh, it was this guy. Uh, we were talking about this exact thing, and and at that deal, they asked me how the sport had changed, and and, and I explained to them how practice is no longer a live full contact thing. Not not at our schools. Not at any school I've been involved with in the last fifteen years. We now have extra head protection we, we wear at practice. Um, we have taken the helmet out of the tackle uh, at the high school level for the most part. I, I think one of the, the first ones to really do it was Pete Carroll with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, it's more of a rugby type tackle uh, to prevent head trauma. Um, it's, it, the, the game, like I said, the game of football has never been safer. I think, uh, Kids are more at risk riding a bicycle now uh, than, than playing the sport of football. I know that sounds absurd, but I actually read a study on that. Um, it's to, to, to answer your point, Zach, I would not um, discourage you from having your son play football. In fact, I would tell you that uh, the benefits that he gets uh, that we've talked about throughout this podcast the benefits that he gets from doing that uh, far outweigh any head trauma. My son personally had it. He had a couple of concussions in high school and we dealt with it. Um, and again, the, we have so much more knowledge now about concussions and how to treat them uh, compared to back when I started uh, coaching or even played um, that, Again, it's it's safer now than ever. Well, and I think one thing that the the media doesn't like to talk about is that 
all of these things, how the game has changed over the 30 years that you've been uh, a coach. And then, and then by the way, the, the, the 20 years before that, that you played, I guess not 20 years, but 15 years before that, that you played starting as a young boy, you know, I think the part that, that we don't talk about is how it goes to the same kind of coaching aspect too, right? Like you as a head coach, the last thing you want to do is have a kid one, either get a concussion or stick him back out on that field when he might have one. And so I think, I think we just lose a little bit that, you know, I, I hear a lot of narrative around, it's all about wins. It's all about like, get that kid back out on the field. And I just don't see that anymore. I really don't. I mean, I don't see that at all the way from the professional level, all the way down to a Pop Warner level, right? I mean, and I think anyone who has coached, you know, their kid and I don't care what the sport is, Little League or whatever, the, the one thing, you know, you pray about before that is that all those kids ha- have fun and that they come off that field at the end of it, you know, everybody's still intact. And and to me, like, I, I think I think we just – we've almost like taken the coach out of it that, you know, he only wants to win. The reality is, and I know this to be true of you is yeah, winning is important, but all those kids going home to mom and dad all in one piece is has is by far and away the number one priority. And, and to me, like, I wish we'd start talking a little bit more about that and less about the downside. Right. Right. Well, and, and I've, I've personally had issues where I have, removed a kid from the team. He could, I gave him a whistle. He had had his fourth or fifth con- concussion. Uh, and I said, buddy, it's, it's time to hang him up. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna help us out on the coaching side, but, but I'm not gonna let you play anymore. And, and he was very upset by that. His family wasn't very happy with me, but I knew it was the right thing to do for him. And he's, he's a father now. And, and I still get messages from him now and then. Um, and I've had to move kids from high contact positions to, to something a little further away from the ball, uh, again, just to try to protect kids from those, those things. And, and we were, when I was at Smithville, we were one of the first schools in the, in the state uh, to do baseline testing, which is, I think, an important component to this, this whole thing. And it's what that is in a nutshell. You give a kid a cognitive test. Uh, before the season, and then if you suspect they have been concussed, they will retest and compare the scores, the baseline to where they're at now cognitively, and if if there's much of a separation, we shut them down. So, yeah. uh, Coach, you talked about, kind of before we got on, just some of your leadership initiatives in representing high school coaches and being able to go – and talk with college coaches. What are some of your favorite projects that you've been able to undertake? And where do you want to see the game change? How do you want to see it get better? How do you want to see it transform? Well, we've, we've created some leadership um, training at both the, the, the local level, the Greater Kansas City Coaches Association, um, and the state level. Um, in, in trying to train and develop young coaches to prepare them to become head coaches. Um, a good friend of mine, Kevin Keaton, who's a coach uh, up actually in St. Joseph, Missouri, uh, kind of spearheads that for us on both levels. 
And, and to me, that's one of the most important things we can do. Um, as, as I get to the twilight of my career uh, on the downhill side, I want to make sure that uh, as, as stewards of the game, we pass this game on to coaches who are prepared and, and come from a good place um, and, and aren't one of those guys that are uh, wins and losses first guys. Uh, they they want to develop the player uh, both physically and emotionally and mentally uh, to be not only a good football player, but a, a good man in the community. So what, what kind of college coaches have you met along the way and, and how have you picked their brains kind of in terms of how they address the team, how they go about game planning, how they go about meeting. And cause it seems like when you're leading, you're always learning. Yeah, it, it's, I, I've, I've been fortunate to meet a lot of those guys. Um, and, and each one is different. Um, but at the same time, they all kind of carry the core values uh, when they, it, to gain the success that they have, uh, they all kind of contain that that same value that we've talked about about being detail driven and uh, and and focused and uh, determined and hardworking and all those things and that those are those are the components I've tried to pick out for my own career and then pass along to the to the next generation. So, coaches, we uh, probably start to wrap up a little bit here. On a lighter note, your Chiefs going to go back to back. Oh, assuming that we all get to play. By the way, yeah. <laughs> I just hope we get a, a Super Bowl at all. Yeah, even Coach, better. Have a, even better if chance, uh, Pat Mahomes is in it. Let's, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Coach, if you have a chance, log on to si.com, Sports Illustrated, or if you get Sports Illustrated at your house, it'll it'll come in the mailbox if it hasn't already. Great article on Jason and Travis Kelsey. Oh yeah. They're both from Ohio. I covered them both at the University of Cincinnati, and it's just been phenomenal watching Jason go on and become one of the best centers in the NFL for the Philadelphia Eagles. Travis is well on his way to Canton, Ohio, as a tight end with the Kansas City Chiefs. He's going to be a Hall of Famer one day just with his production, and it's going to be awesome. Who's the best player you ever coached? Ooh. Um... As far as accolades and, and those kind of things, it would, it would be Andrew Jones. He was a tight end. He was the, uh, I want to say, the third-ranked tight end in the nation. He played, he was played in the Army All-American game, uh, signed with Mizzou as a tight end, um, and then played four years there. And now he's a, a consultant in the Kansas City area. So uh, he was – that was pretty – high profile when we're getting I, I I'll never forget sitting in Bob Stoops office at Oklahoma literally 10 minutes before kickoff and he's talking to me about uh, being from Ohio because we we were both born in the state of Ohio and and I'm thinking as, as I'm walking out you know I'm thinking I'm not fit to talk to anybody 10 minutes before a game against Chillicothe High School let alone some slappy from Northwest Missouri, uh, the Kansas City area, that, that I have nothing really in common with other than the state we were born in. And he was cordial and nice, and, and I'm thinking, wow, um, that's, that's something. That's how, that's how you get to be at Oklahoma. 
Um, so, and, and he must really want your kid, right? <laughs> well, they did, and uh, but Mizzou got him. So, how are coaches wired differently? You know, you hear these stories about high school coaches, college coaches, pro coaches, and and obviously a high school level and a college level and a pro level, it's all different, different challenges. But pro coaches have said, honestly, there's really not a lot of difference in terms of where I'm at on the pro level compared to high school. It's just maybe I caught a break along the way or I got lucky. But how are you all able to work as much as you work, go without sleep as much as you're able to go without sleep, watch film till your eyes hurt, and do it all over again with just a passion for what you're doing? How, how, does, that, how does that exist within you? Well, I, I, you asked how we're wired differently. I, I think, and I don't know, uh, but I, I think one thing that I find true to be with most, most coaches, most football coaches, is we are wired in a way that we try to think of every possible scenario, every answer to the problem, and then what is our reaction to that going to be? What is our answer for the answer? And so it's, it's, a, it's a, a way to... We, we analyze everything and try to come up with solutions. And if, if there's something out of your control, it drives me crazy. Um, so uh, that's one thing. As far as um, the long hours and, and all of that, it's just a passion. It's, it's, a, it's a drive for success. Um, it's, it's, again, trying to find those answers and evaluate and, and figure things out. And, and it... It does. It, it happens every week at every level, whether you're a, a class one football coach, an eight man football coach in the state of Missouri, or if you're uh, coaching the, the New York Jets. So you were in the same building with Jace Tingler, who's the current manager of the San Diego Padres. That's an incredible accomplishment to become a big league manager. He did it before age 40. What are your memories of Jace? Not a football coach, not a football player, but what kind of inquisitive mind does he have and how did he stand out to you? Well, first of all, Jace, um, at the time, he was known as uh, the, the son of two incredible coaches at our high school. His mom was a Hall of Fame girls basketball coach. His dad was the softball coach and very successful. Uh, Jace, at the time, was playing baseball at the University of Missouri. And he would come back uh, and he would come out and watch us practice during two-a-days. And after the practice, he would ask me questions about coaching. He was a sponge learning about, trying to learn about how to coach uh, young men and develop them and, you know, lead them in the right direction. And I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of cool. This, this kid is so interested in coaching and, and I, I assumed at the time it was either going to be coaching basketball or baseball that he wants to, he wants to get the perspective of an old football coach. And uh, we see now that he's just, he's developed from uh, running a, a, a facility in, in the Dominican uh, to becoming a, a third base coach to now he's, he's running a major league baseball team. And, and what an incredible success for that young man. But I will tell you, he's been driven from a young age uh, to get to this spot. And I'm glad he's, he's taken his shot and, and being successful. 
Yeah, not only is he uh, managing a big league clubhouse, but he's managing one with a bunch of young guys in it um, who are still trying to find their way as big leaguers, and they're all on the come up. And I know uh, Zach and I have talked uh, over text these last couple weeks about Fernando Tatis Jr. and, you know, just seeing, frankly, what what Jace has done from a job perspective in a very, very difficult market, right, that has not had a lot of success and, you know – is this year one for him or year two? Yes, year one. Year one. Yeah, and and he's got them. He's got them exactly where he needs them. And you're right with COVID. You know, he's he's managing something that you know none of us have ever had to had to manage, and he's doing it with with some grace and some style. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. So maybe maybe he took a few nuggets from you, Coach. No, I I, I don't think I deserve any credit on that. <laughs> I think that's his parenting. Coach, as you guys kind of prepare for the unknown, you said you know earlier in the podcast, and, and rightfully so, really good perspective, we could come to the field and, and not have a season. What kind of protocols are in place in 2020? Are you temperature screening the kids? Do they get swabbed? Do they get tested? Do you not have the budget for that? And, and what is your message to your kids in terms of, hey, guys, let's just be able to look ourselves in the mirror and say we've done everything we possibly can with our own protocols, our own smart decision-making to make sure we have a season. Right. Well, um, we, we do temperature check every day. We have a list of questions we ask them. Uh, at the high school level, we don't have the, the uh, financial resources to test everyone every day. Um, but if they have any symptoms, they're sent away. Uh, and depending on the symptoms, they're going to have to get tested before they come back. Um, we social distance like crazy kids are wearing masks all the time. Uh, even when we're lifting weights, um, the only time that they don't, aren't wearing masks is if we're conditioning or we're actually running plays. Um, so social distancing is huge. Um, you know, we don't huddle anymore and that's part of it. Um, it's, it's definitely different. Um, so how but, does your quarterback deliver the play? Well, we, we do it through signals from the sideline now. Um, so will they go – so let, let's, say, let's say you run a play on second and seven, a run over the left side for three yards, it's third and four. Do the guys just come and line up and stand up where they'd normally line up and then the quarterback relays the signal? We will, we will signal a formation from the sidelines now uh, so that the kids know where to go. And then we will signal – a format uh, the the play so that all the players see the play the quarterback will only communicates the cadence wow um so yeah how's, it's, how's that working out coach in terms of pre-snap oh, penalties and things we it's so far so good um we'll see uh i i i think we're gonna be fine it's just different um and then that's that's the way the world is welcome to 2020 right right <laughs> right that's right you know, double hurricanes coming, right? So here we go. <laughs> Did you have that one on your bingo card? Maybe y'all aren't paying much attention to that, but we here in Texas, as we're watching uh, two hurricanes come into the Gulf, that's all kinds of fun. So goodness, uh, that's Mar oh, Marco and Laura. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The joke is, uh, why not just Marco and Polo, just to really throw twenty twenty into a into a wrench? Well, coach, as we wrap up here. Um, 
one of the things we like to ask people there there's mason in the background mason you can come say hi we're recording but he can say hi how What's you doing up, buddy? mason good how you doing yeah good. so everyone this is mason smith what you've you have already come up in conversation he is my nephew and greg's son and uh he he got to play a little college football in his day and um yeah that's right he's even still representing so yeah good to see you bud and, and grace gracie is here as well she's a She's a dancer at University of Central Missouri. She's on Gracie, the do you do your own braids? Yes, those, are some, those are some incredibly good braids. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. That's a great I've got a daughter too, and I'm trying to learn braids, and she makes it seem like it's the easiest thing in the world. I don't have a chance. She's like, Dad, all you do is there's three strings, and you just loop, 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 over, 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 pull, and it's done. I'm like, I, I'm lost at the first instruction. <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you, as a father of, of two daughters, give it up. Just try to brush it out as best you can and, and hope for the best. Right. And, and pray that your wife doesn't get hit by a bus, right? <laughs> Lest you have to really figure it out. I wouldn't pray for that anyway. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But, okay, so as we wrap up here, Coach, what one of the things we like to ask everybody at the end is, knowing what you know now, what is what is one thing or a couple things you would tell, you know, 20, 22, 23-year-old Coach Smith as he's coming out of college and taking his first coaching job? What, what do you want him to know? Um, don't, don't let outside voices get to you. Uh, be true to who you are. Um, which I think for the most part in my career I have. Uh, but early on, I let outside voices eat me up from the inside out. And uh, that, that would be one of the things I would tell a young me. Uh, the other thing I would tell a young me is make sure you take time for your family. Um, set aside block, set aside a block, uh, to spend time with them, quality time. Uh, that that one hour of your week is not going to change the outcome of Friday night's game. Do it. How did you overcome or get to a point where you, you talk about outside voices? Are you talking about critical parents, critical community members? How did you get to a point in your career where you were able to put that in its place and not have it consume you? Um, I, I think it came through maturity, um, just having some experience and confidence. You know, with with the wins comes the confidence, and you think. Now, granted, I, I became a head coach at the age of twenty-four. I was a head coach at twenty-four, and I I was a head coach at my alma mater, which meant a lot of the people in the stands know me as number 58 more than they know me as the head football coach. Um, and or so, the kid in algebra class. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, that kind of factored into things as well. I was trying to please all those people uh, while at the same time do the right thing as a football team. Uh, that, that was a delicate balancing act. And, and um, after I moved on to another school and – uh, had some success, it, 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 it became a lot easier. Well, Coach, this has been just a fantastic conversation, and we really appreciate your perspective on football, non-football, and I know you guys are going to have a great season this year with all the 
unexpected that, that lie ahead. Well, I, I appreciate you guys. And again, I'm, I'm humbled by the fact that you guys thought to involve me, uh, somebody who's not a professional athlete, uh, just an old football coach uh, who, who loves coaching kids, loves the sport, uh, and, and wants to leave it in a better place than we found it. Thanks, Coach. We really appreciate you. Yeah. He's a member of the Missouri High School Football Coaches Hall of Fame. He's Greg Smith. Thanks for coming on, Coach. Thanks, Matt. Love you, buddy. Love you, too. Our thanks to Greg Smith, a high school football coach for the past 30 years, got his first head coaching job at age 24 at his alma mater. And Matt, the stories he can tell about you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I got I to gotta butter him up with some Kansas City barbecue or something like that to get all the dirt on you, my man. But I really thought that I learned a lot in terms of how football's never been safer. Right. I don't know if I'm going to let my son play. I don't think I'm going to. But and you and you and I, when we were little, we used to get those like helmets. You know, the helmets have come a long way in terms of being able to shield oh. the brain from the kind of trauma. Oh, you, a helmet? You mean those things that were uh, too big and didn't have any padding and banged against the top of your head? Correct. Like, the hard plastic actually hurt to have on. Yeah, correct. Those, Th- those were protecting our uh, football players from the past, apparently yeah. from head trauma. But right. Yeah, I mean. I definitely can see where he's coming from in terms of limiting tackling in practice, limiting the head in the tackle, and just the advances in, in science and technology with making the helmet much more absorbent of trauma and contact. I was interested yeah, in that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, the one thing I will say, and I didn't bring it up in the, in the conversation with Greg, but the, the one thing I will say is I trust – high school football coaches. I trust college and pro football coaches to be able to, to teach all of that. My concern is at the youngest levels, right? So when they first start tackling, look, I coach little league baseball with my son and I love it. I've said before that if I could make a living as a little league baseball coach, I would do it 40 hours a week and, and, and never, never work a day in my life. And, but the reality is, is while I know the game and I know how to teach the game, I didn't play it at the highest levels. I didn't, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a professional coach. Right. And so with pop Warner and these kind of young kids playing football, it's just dads like you and me out there coaching. And so that's always been my concern is that, you know, you end up with a coach who's just a dad who's doing the best he can, you know, no knock on him, but like, does he really know how to teach that? And, you know, that's always been my biggest concern at those youngest levels when they really need to learn that stuff. Um, and then it's not like something that you can just do for a while and then the high school coach can fix it later. You know, it becomes habit and becomes rote. And so when we talk about whether or not when Kara and I have, my wife and I have talked about, you know, whether or not Cashin or either of our kids, if Sadie had wanted to play football, it was just a non-starter, right? She, she's a, she, it doesn't help. She's a pediatric physical therapist. And so she has seen some of the um, after effects of, of brain injuries and in children and things like that. And so, you know, that was never going to happen anyway, but you know, that's my biggest concern and what it's always been is kind of at those levels. But, but I agree with you that, you know, the idea of technology getting better all the time and frankly, just the fact that we talk about it now, right? It's again, it's one of those things that, you know, football players, 
um, coaches, administration, the commissioner's office at the NFL level that no one just ever wanted to talk about, right? Like if it's, if we don't talk about concussions or, you know, getting dinged or seeing stars or getting your bell rung or what, you know, right? We couldn't even call it what it was. Like we were so scared of opening that Pandora's box that, you know, we, we, we just kept shoving it and brushing it under the rug. To me, at least we're talking about it. At least we all know about it. We're starting to understand the risks. Players now understand the risks and they can start to make some of their own health decisions. I think that's important. And I think what really resonated with me in the conversation with, with Greg was how valuable team sports are for teaching life lessons. I meet people all the time that are never late, they have great body language, they have great communication skills, and they are great teammates. And it's not on the field, it's in small groups. Hey, we've got to put together this PowerPoint for this presentation, oh, I'll do this. Or, hey, do you know how to do that? You know, I don't, but you know what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go figure it out, and if I have any trouble whatsoever, I'll get back to you guys, but I wanna learn how to do it. And just the growth that happens, I think, in team sports, and, and this is not a knock on tennis, so I think you can have a lot of individual growth playing tennis or individual sports. Say you're a cross country runner or a tennis player or whatever. But I think team sports really lends itself, especially now to a lot of growth, to a lot of reflection, to a lot of life skills that, that you can use as a grandpa or a grandma, honestly. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even, even in the individual sports, right. In, in the individual sports, you still have, I mean, especially like in, at the high school level, right. So if you're a tennis player, you're still on a tennis team. You still have a coach. While it may be an individual sport, the reality is, is you're all very close to one another and you got to go golfers, right? You got to go score points for your team if your team's going to win, right? And so I, I even think that those team aspects, especially at the younger levels, really do come into play, even in the individual sports. And I just think that I mean, there are still things to this day, having played team sports that I still like quote, I find myself quoting my old coaches and, and things I, you say, don't ever be late. I went to, um, I got the opportunity to go to Magic Johnson's basketball camp uh, three or four years when I was a kid and Magic would start the morning every day. And, you know, you were on your own. Like I was a nine-year-old kid living in a dorm you know, and had to be up for breakfast and go to the breakfast hall and get, you know, my food and then be at the gym at a certain time. And Magic would start every single day and he'd say, to be, to be early is to be on time, to be on time is to be late. And to this day, I, if I'm not five minutes early to everything, I just, I, I feel like I am rushing and I'm late and I'm, you know, and so it, it just carries, it carries with you, right? And I, I hate I, being late. I hate yeah. it. Me too. And I, and I, I, I liken it back to sports because I never wanted to be that last person on the field. I didn't want my coach to see me being the last person on the field. Plus I loved it. I didn't want to be last on the field because if I were earlier, I got a few more ground balls before anybody else got there or whatever the case may be. And you didn't and, want to be the guy that made everybody run. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I, the one I love that I use with my kids all the time is smell that burning. That's time burning. That was my high school baseball coach. And it, you know, it just has to go around with just jacking around, right? I don't know about you guys, but like, you know, the, the time right before bed with the like brushing teeth and all of that is literally makes me want to pull what little hair I have left out of my head. And I think every parent has said this. And, I, and so I find myself like jokingly using that one of just the, you're just stalling 
to get to something that you actually want to get to, which is so weird. <laughs> like, like, what are you doing? And, you know, so I find myself all the time using life lessons that I learned from high school coaches, little league coaches, whatever the case may be. Awesome. Well, we want to thank Greg Smith, Matt's brother-in-law and a Missouri High School Hall of Fame football coach for joining us. This has been episode four of the Victory Away From The Venue podcast. Thanks so much for checking us out. We'll see you next time.